love Sunday. I have my Dallas morning news. Don't I look comfortable? I am comfortable. My kids hate the Dallas morning news. They say, Daddy, are you reading the long paper? Because Palestine takes like 10 seconds. And uh, they hate Sundays because Sundays I get my long paper. and That's what I do in the afternoon. That's how I relax. My kids cannot understand that. Um, we're talking about Dare You to Move, and today we're finishing up our series about moving. Now, if you remember, if you've been here for four weeks, four weeks ago we started talking about what is real faith. Real faith, we said, is not something that you think, it's not something you say, feel, or even say you believe. Real faith is something you do. Thank you, Sheriff, paying attention. And we've gone over this for four weeks. But thank you, Sheriff. Thank you for playing. So real faith is something you do. If you claim to be a Christ follower, I have the right, as well as you do for me, I have the right to say to you, show me your faith. We looked in the book of James, and James says, faith is not something you say, it's something you do. Real faith is action-based. So if you claim to be a follower of Christ, do something. Don't just say you believe it. Then the next week, we talked about daring you to move spiritually. We said that your commitments define your life. And we said that there are three commitments that every person is born for. Every person who's ever lived was created by God, but not every person who's ever lived is a child of God because you have to choose to become a child of God. So we said the three commitments that will totally transform your life is, number one, you were were created to commit your life to Christ. That's when you choose to get into His family. Then the second thing is you were created and, and God wants you to commit to a local church. That's His body. So He wants you to be involved with the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. And then the third thing we said that everybody needs to commit to is spiritual growth. Because if you don't commit to spiritual growth, you don't make a decision to grow spiritually, more than likely next year, not only will you not have progressed in the Christian life, you'll have gone backwards because there is no such thing as neutral in the Christian life. Last week we looked at finances. and We dared you to move to God's plan financially. Because we said, there's a couple of things that I know about every person in this room, same as last week. Every person in this room is living on a percentage of your income. And most of you don't know what that percentage is. So we talked about God's plan financially leads you to financial margin. Margin is what's left over at the end of the month. It's this pile of money that you come to the table and you pour it out. You say, we've got all this stuff left over. That's financial margin. And all of us have it, right? (laughs) Yeah. Well, we said that God's plan leads to margin, and if we don't have margin in our lives, that means we're not doing things the way God intended for us to, because God wants us to have margin in our lives. Peace happens in the margin. Generosity happens in the margin. All of these things come from margin living. And we said that God's plan involves priority percentage giving. What that means is, at the first of the month, I decide to give God a percentage of my income before I know what's going to happen because that demonstrates to God that I trust Him financially. And then God can bless me because I have shown Him I can be trusted. Today, we're going to finish our series, and I'm going to talk to you about why in the world I'm up here in a robe, which is so not like me. I, I'm sweating even in the robe. But, but this, is, this, is, this is my uh, prop today. In two weeks, two weeks from tomorrow, we've been counting down the days. I get on Carnival.com every day because it does this little countdown, and it says, we are going to welcome you aboard the the Ecstasy. (laughs) That's kind of a funny name for for a ship. But we're going to go, Janie and I are getting on a a boat two weeks from tomorrow, and we're going on a cruise. And, And the reason we're going on a cruise, 
um, Hannah, our youngest last night, came in and she's, she's all upset and she's crying because she's just messed up that we're leaving for five days. She just can't stand it. It's not really me, it's mom. You know, dad leaves, bye. Rachel gets upset if I leave, but if mom leaves, Hannah gets upset. So she comes in all downcast and crying and she said, I don't like it that you leave me every year. And Janie said, well, we don't go on a cruise every year. What we do is we will always, every year, I learned this from a couple that, that's been married much longer than me and they're still in love with each other and I want to be like that. They take a vacation every year with the family, with the children, and then they take a vacation every year without the children. And I'm like, that's a great idea. So Janie went into this big, long speech to, to our youngest, Hannah, about why we do this. She said, Daddy and I like each other a lot. And we do trips with you, but we're going on this trip because someday... And see, Hannah's deal is Hannah wants to get married, but she says she's never moving out of the house. She's going to convert Caleb's room into this big room, and she and her husband are going to live there. So Janie's talking to her, and she said... Um, she goes, Hannah, someday when you get married and you live back in Caleb's room, you're going to want to go on a vacation with just your husband. And Daddy and I are going to watch your kids. And you're going to like it. You know, and Hannah starts going, yeah, that sounds like a pretty good idea. So anyway, we talked about all this because the reason we like going on cruises is the service. There's this dude called the room steward. I, would, I don't want that job because basically he's the closest thing to a servant on the ship. He is assigned about 10 to 15 rooms, and what he or she does every day is they clean that room. Towels, they make the beds. At night, you'll come in and your bed will be turned down and there'll be little mints on the pillows. If they notice that we've come in during the day, they'll, they'll make the beds, they'll clean the room, trash, shower, everything. He just cleans it up. If we need mouthwash, we call the steward. If we you know, lock ourselves out of the room, we call the steward. Whatever I need, I call this dude from the day I get on the ship until I get off. After I get off, he won't know my name. But while I'm on there, hello, Mr. Washburn, how are you doing today? Because he knows you know, his tip is tied into the service. So he's going to serve me. And the, and the food, oh my soul. 24 hours a day, you get all the food that you can want. And, and see, I've kind of been in training because they say that you're going to gain 5 pounds to 10 pounds when you go on a cruise. And so I've already gotten a head start on that so that I will just have extra room to eat when I get there. And the food, 24 hours a day. Room service is even free. The, the, I, I just call, bring me some food. I can go to these 20, there's one 24 hour restaurant on this thing. If I want to go swimming, there's three different swimming pools. There's a, there's a slide that comes down into this one pool. Um, there's, there's movies at night. There's Broadway type shows. There's bingo. I can't, well, we did play it one time. There's bingo. Janie's kind of likes that. So we may play bingo. I can be as active or inactive as I want to be if I, if I, you know, feel a little self-conscious because I'm bloated from all the food and I need to go work out. There's a gym with all the latest equipment there. If my back hurts, I just call for an appointment with the spa and get a massage. And so for five days in October, man, I'm sitting down and relaxing and letting somebody serve me. And it's going to be fun. And occasionally, I think that's okay to put on the robe and to be served. But what happens if I come back? We come in on Saturday morning, October 20th, and I drive back into Palestine. But I refuse to take off the rope. And I expect you to serve me food. Um, it's too hot. Get me some more. It's too cold. It's not spicy enough. It's too spicy. I need some salt. And if I start de making demands on you, what are you going to think about me? You're going to get hungry, yeah. You are nuts, dude. 
What would happen if our church was filled with people who put on the rope? Wouldn't have much of a church. People wouldn't want to come. People would not like us. Because, see, in the Christian life, there's a, there's a huge difference between service or serve us. And I think a lot of churches have gotten kind of confused and think that churches serve us, feed me. And if, if we all put on the robe and we all demand that everybody around serve us, it might look a lot like this church. You got that video back there? Check this out. Imagine a church where every member is passionately, wholeheartedly, and recklessly calling the shots. I have a busy work week, and by the time Sunday rolls around, I'm tired. So how about a church service that starts when I get there? Can do. When you arrive, we begin. This guy, he plays by his own rules. We want to find a church where if he starts screaming, we're not the bad guy. Say no more. If your baby's screaming, you stay seated. The others around you can leave. You know, financially, Sherry and I don't give a lot to the church, but we sure like to know who does. All right, if you join now, you'll know what every person gives in detail. When I'm in the church service, can my car get a bump and a whack? Not just that, but an oil change and a tune-up. Hey, how about tickets to the Super Bowl? That's asking too much. I'm serious. If I'm going to join, I want tickets to the big game. All right, you join now, and we'll get you there. I like a pony. Look in your backyard. Me Church, where it's all about you. Me Church. Now, we kind of giggle at that, and we think that that maybe is a little bit over the top, but that, that mindset is not new. Jesus dealt with it when He walked the earth. And if you have your Bibles, you might want to follow along with this story in Matthew chapter 18. Um, the disciples were these, these group of fishermen who, who were hard workers, great guys, but they never seemed to get it. Jesus had to teach stuff over and over and over again. And, and I want you to see what's going on here in Matthew uh, chapter 18, verse 1. About that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, which of us is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, keep your finger there because we're going to come back to that passage in just a minute. Uh, can you just imagine Jesus? He's, he's hand-chosen 12 men that He's going to pour everything He can into for three years and then He's going to be killed on the cross and, and go back to heaven. And these, three, these 12 dudes are supposed to carry on His church. And, and so Jesus is just giving of Himself. Jesus didn't have a house he didn't, um, he didn't have any possessions except the clothes on his back. And he traveled all over the place dealing with people who had lots of needs. And he was showing them how he expected them to act. And at one point they say, um, Jesus, who is the greatest? Which one of us do you love the most? And, and Jesus says, um, guys, you, you, you don't understand. Now, the best I could figure was, you know, if, if we were to hang out with some celebrity... Give me a celebrity that you think is just like on top of the celebrity world right now. Give me a name. What? No, give me, give me a name, somebody. Fergie? Okay, she's, she's Canadian. I know that much. That's all I know. The only reason I know that is because she did a song about Steve Nash. 
who plays basketball. Matthew McConaughey. Uh, yeah, y'all both think he's good looking, don't you? Yeah, I know. I've heard that before. Matthew McConaughey, or let's say Brad Pitt, or Angelina Jolie. Let's say that you and I, you or I, one of us knows them. We're part of their posse. What does that entitle you? You get to go wherever they go. Get to hang out with them. Tell them how great they are. You get to go and hang out with them. That's what the disciples thought about Jesus. Because when Jesus came to earth, He came with two roles. First role was the Son of God. The Bible calls Him the King of Kings. By definition, King of Kings means, is there anyone above Him? No, King of Kings means He's number one. And the disciples thought, sweet, we get to put on the robe. We get to be part of His royal posse. He's the King of Kings. We're the Prince of Princes. Or formerly known as Prince. I don't know. Something like that. We get to hang out with Jesus. But here's the deal. Jesus came and He fulfilled a second role. You know what it was? Humble servant. And that's the role He expects all of His followers to play. See, we can't be the King of Kings. There's one of those. And Jesus never intended for us to fulfill that role. But what He spent His whole life on earth, He said, I came to serve, not to be served, and to give my life a ransom for many. In Philippians it says that, that your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who though He was equal with God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But He gave that up and He became humble. He became like a servant and took on the form of a man and became obedient even to death on a cross. Our attitude is supposed to be like that. And uh, we don't like that. Now, a non-serving Christian is a contradiction in terms. Jesus expects us all to be servants. So when, when His followers said, which one's the greatest? Look what He says in Matthew chapter 18, verses 2-4. through four. Jesus called a small child over to Him and put the child among them. Then He said, I assure you, unless you turn from your sins and become as little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, I want, you, I want you to get this distinction. Jesus never said that we're to become childish. He said we're to become childlike. Humble, faithful, obedience, like a child. So Jesus got this object lesson, brought this child up, and He says, unless you become humble like this child, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Now, the greatest in the kingdom, according to Jesus, would never be the ones who, who wore the robe. The greatest in the kingdom of God are those who put a towel over their arm and they say, how can I serve you? What can I do for you? That's called great in the kingdom of God. Now, our world, our world has this mindset that it's prestige, power, it's uh, position and possessions. And the problem is that mindset has crept into the church. And people in the church think that if you have power, possessions, prestige, that, that you have arrived. But according to Jesus, according to God, to be great in the kingdom of God, you've got to serve. So what God does, He looks at how many people you serve. And that's great in His eyes. Not how many people serve you. So if you want to know if you are great in the kingdom of God, look around and see how many people you're serving. And if it's none, then, then maybe, maybe it's time for you to, um, to start serving. See, the heroes in our church are downstairs right now. The heroes are in the children's area, changing dirty diapers, wiping snotty noses, 
taking kids who are being potty trained to the bathroom when they have mistakes, changing clothes. They are teaching our kids the love of Christ. They're talking about Bible stories. They're teaching them songs. Those people are the heroes so that you can come up here and you don't have to deal with any of that. They are serving you by taking care of your kids downstairs. And they are our heroes. I remember when my kids were four and and we were in a church and we had to bring the kids into church because that was the time that kids had to learn to sit still and be quiet. (laughs) And I I always thought that was kind of ironic that we wanted our kids to come in and and all we're doing is thumping them and telling them to shut up and and learn about the love of Jesus, dadgummit. That makes no sense to me. So when we started our church, we said we are going to have the best children's program possible and we're going to serve adults by taking care of their children and designing something just for them. I I wonder if you know how much service goes on to present a a service, a worship time every week here at New Life. When when you come, you get out of your car and, and there's someone in the parking lot. Rain or shine, hot or cold, They're out there. And you know, the reason they're there is because we believe worship begins in the parking lot. We want somebody to shake your hand, encourage you. If you don't know where to go, give you directions. We want somebody out there all the time. That is a priority of ours. And so someone has to give up their time to do that. And you come in, somebody's down at the bottom, they open the door for you. If you have kids, you go to the security area and you check them in. Somebody has to be there to man that. And the reason we do that is we value your kids and we stamp your hand. And by the way, if we stamp your hand, you can get your kids. If we don't stamp your hand, you can't get your kids. I don't even go get my kids because I'm not stamped. I'm usually here before the stampers get here. And so I don't even go get my kids. I'm not going to violate the rules because we've, we've had situations where parents are divorced and one may come and one may not. And we've actually had situations where, where custody was given to one and another one wanted to come get custody. We just can't go there. So we stamp hands to value you. You bring the child, you get the child. If you're divorced and, and both of you come here and, and one of them brought the child, our rule is whoever brings the kid gets stamped and then you pick them up. Make sense? Because we, we just got to protect those kids. We value you. We serve you in that way. And then if you drop your kids off in that classroom, there have been hours of preparations made. Sets have been built. Uh, Bible studies have been, have been studied. There are, <laughs> one morning I, I went by, Sunday morning, actually I think it was last week, I went by to drop something off to Alex, last minute thing I needed him to do, and his wife, at 8 o'clock in the morning, before she put on any makeup or anything, I'll get in trouble for this, she's outside clipping, it's, she's harvesting stuff off of the, the trees, and I told my son, I said, look, there's, there's Miss Danielle, she's, she's harvesting this morning. He said, oh, she's, he teaches down there, by the way, my, my 12-year-old teaches in that class once a month. And he said, uh, he goes, well, she's just getting something for her class. And sure enough, that's what she was doing. She was out there getting stuff, pre- preparing for the class. And when, when he teaches down there, she sends on my email, I get an email with this, this printout of stuff that my son is supposed to go over so that he can lead small groups. So there's preparation time that's gone on before your kids ever get there. And they, they do it week after week to serve you because they know that it's important. And then if you come upstairs, there are, um, there's coffee and sometimes there's donuts. There's different things up here. And, you know, although we follow Christ, I've never met anybody in this day and age that could manufacture donuts and coffee, you know, just at a word. God spoke, you know, let there be light and there was light. Well, we, we've tried that with donuts and it doesn't work. So somebody had to go get them. Somebody has to prepare the coffee. Somebody had to go buy the coffee. Somebody had to get the cups. Somebody had to get the, the plates. Buy all of that stuff. 
This place has been cleaned. All of this stuff happens. And then if you enjoy the worship, even if you don't, they've still been here for a couple of hours worshiping and practicing before you ever get here so that by some possibility, God might move in your life. And, and we like music that has a beat so that maybe you'll have fun with that. And, and we want people to leave going, man, I didn't know church. I didn't know you could have cool music in church. We want people to leave going, dude, that was, that was good. And then if by some Stretch of the imagination. You get something out of the message, it has to be the grace of God. Not my power. Because I can't persuade anybody. I'm not that smart. Hang out with me for ten minutes after church. You'll know I'm not that smart. So if I ever say anything and you go, wow, that's deep. It has to come from God. There have been hours spent in front of a computer screen typing and studying and listening to other messages and, and researching. I listen to other pastors all the time so that I can be fed. And then, then I pray like crazy this morning. Last night, I prayed like crazy that God would take my efforts because my efforts are only human and God would add His Spirit supernatural power and take it and apply it to your life. And there's no way I can be smart enough to apply a message to everybody that's here. But God can. God is the one who spoke the world into existence. He can take human efforts and make them supernatural. And if God does that, yay God! Because we want to see lives changed. And the only way that happens is if God shows up week after week and takes our efforts and multiplies them to His efforts. We have registration cards that we ask you to fill out. You put them back there in, in a basket. Somebody has to take care of those and get those to me. Sunday afternoons, I spend time looking through those. If they're prayer concerns, I pray over those Sunday afternoon. And during the week, I pray over those things. If you uh, give, we have a joy basket back there. Oh, that was weak. We have a joy basket back there. Thank you, because God loves a cheerful giver, and we try to remind ourselves of that all the time. We have a joy basket back there, and... Um, Somebody has to take that. If you put cash or you write a check, somebody has to collect that and write it down on this sheet of paper so that we have a record. And then somebody else has to put that into the computer so that at the end of the year you get this wonderful little contribution statement so you know how much you've given to God because you can take that directly off your taxes. Thank you, government, for that one thing, that one small favor. You can take that off the money that you've given the church. That's a great deal. But somebody has to serve. And then at the end of the services, our, uh, our sound guys and our computer guys, they, they're back there and they take um, CDs and they make a CD of the message for every worker downstairs. So that's 10 to 12, maybe 15 at a time they have to make and go down there and they hand them out. You'll see them running around handing things out so that the people down there can hear them. The trash is taken out after our services. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that goes on. We turn on projectors. Somebody type the words on the screen so that you could read it. There's all kinds of service for you so that we can tear down walls and make it as easy as possible for you to encounter God on a Sunday morning. And then when we're done, we turn off the lights, we go home, and we come back next week and do it again. And by the way, if you, uh, if you ever encounter me on, on a Monday morning, um, I'm just going to warn you that that I have something, this disease called preacher's hangover. And uh, I, I'm serious. On Monday mornings, no matter how good or bad the service has been that Sunday, you know, last week we had one-on-one class for a couple hours afterwards, then small group, and, you know, Monday mornings I wake up with what's called preacher's hangover. My mind is kind of foggy. i got a got a slight headache. You know, I'm kind of nauseous. Um, I'm not sure who I've been with, what I said, how long I've been with them. Uh, if you come up to me and you go, man, you said this, I'm going to go, what did I say? What'd I say? You know, I'm, I'm serious. And then the worst thing is when, when, you're, when you're in that condition and, and you go, oh, dude, six days and i got to do it again. Um, because the hardest thing, every preacher I've ever talked to, the hardest thing is that Sunday comes once every seven days. 
And you're expected to give this, this incredible meal. People come, they want to be fed. And so you're supposed to give this gourmet meal. Well, I don't know if you've ever watched a gourmet cook. It takes several days to cook a gourmet meal. One of my favorite meals is uh, ribs. The only time we have that is on birthdays because, you know, like it's real expensive. And Janie starts a couple of days ahead of time getting those ribs ready so that oh, when you bite into them, it just melts in your mouth. That's good stuff. Sorry. Get off on that. Now, Jesus reserved some of his harshest criticism for people who should have known that service, not serve us, service is what should mark followers of God. And uh, these folks were the religious leaders and they should have known better because from the time they were young boys, boys in the Jewish culture were taught the Scriptures. They would roll them out on their parchment paper, on their scrolls, and they, not only would they hear the words over and over, it was expected by the time they were 12, 13, by the time they go through their bar mitzvah, that they would have most of the Old Testament memorized. Not just know how it flows, memorize. They could give you stuff backwards and forwards, and the best of the best of the best would continue on after they reached uh, age 13, and they would become the religious leaders. They're called scribes and Pharisees. And it was their job to teach everyone else what God's Word said. So these guys knew God's Word backwards and forwards, and, uh, and Jesus reserved some of His harshest criticism for them because they knew God's Word, but they didn't do God's Word. Remember we said real faith is something you do? Look what Jesus had to say for them. If you are still have your Bibles open, go over just a couple of chapters to Matthew 23. We'll start in verse 2. Jesus is talking. He says, The teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the Scriptures. So He's saying it's their job to tell you what the Bible says. So practice and obey whatever they say to you. That part's good, but look at this next phrase. But don't follow their example. Have you ever said to your kids, don't do as I do, do as I say? That was the religious leaders. Look what Jesus says. He continues. For they don't practice what they teach. They crush you with impossible religious demands and never lift a finger to help ease the burden. How? Where Jesus said this was right in front of the religious leaders. He, he never backed down from them. He was always picking a fight with them because they should have known better. Because God has always had this, this soft spot in His heart for the underdog. One of my favorite chapters in, in, in the whole Bible is Psalm chapter 34. And, you know, I'm just going to read you a couple of things from it. And you may have heard me say this to you. If you ever have trouble, I'm going to share some of these verses with you. Um, it says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who trust Him says, you know, if you'll just try God, you'll find out some incredible things. But this, this, um, this whole chapter says things, for the angel of the Lord guards those. Another translation says, in camps around those who fear Him. God's angel encamps around those who fear Him. And then it says, and He rescues them. You ever needed to be rescued? Ever felt helpless? There's another one down here, uh, 34, 18. It says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Have you ever been brokenhearted? Brokenhearted people have a special place in God's economy. And, and look what it says, or listen to what it says. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and He saves those who are crushed in spirit. Ever been crushed? I have. 
I've had everything dear to me ripped out from under me. And I remember laying on my bed at night, this was long before I was married, and I remember um, crying out to God. It was so bad that I, I started writing a journal and I started saying, God, this stinks. And my, my prayers to God sounded a lot like some of the Psalms. Oh, God, how long are you going to forsake me forever? And I look back now and I see that that was one of the most intense times of spiritual growth in my life. And that's when I learned this, this chapter. Psalm 34, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and He saves those who are crushed in spirit. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him and He rescues them. And I used to pray that over and over. God, it says You're around me. I don't feel You, God. Help me see. Help me know. And God walked me through that situation. God has a soft spot in His heart for the underdog. And the religious leaders, it says, were making it harder and harder for the underdog. And Jesus said, this should not be in my kingdom. Because service is what I want. Religious leaders who never lift a finger to help ease a burden are worthless. And we don't want them here. You don't want them here. If you want God to look at your life and judge it as significant, then notice the job description. Still got your Bible open? Go down to Matthew 23, 11. The greatest among you must be a what? Servant. Oh, man. That means I've got to take off the robe. I don't want to take off the robe. I don't always feel like serving. Feelings don't have anything to do with it, according to Jesus. And see, when, when He said this to His disciples, I just imagine they looked at Him and they go, He's pulling our leg. No way the King of Kings is telling us we've got to serve other people. And every time I'd say this to this generation, that this is what the Bible says, Jesus is saying, you've got to serve to be great in the kingdom of God. You want to be great? Sweep the floors, clean the toilets. You want to be great? Do stuff that nobody else ever sees. And God, your Father in heaven, will glorify you, will bless you for it. Because the most significant service in His economy is the service no one else ever sees. And I say that to this generation, people go, uh-uh, not me. You must be crazy. Now, I'll be a servant of God, but to serve other people? No, not me. Uh-uh. That's too much. And the cost, they say, is too much. And you see, this message is not an easy one. It's difficult. And I'll, I'll be blunt, honest with you right here. It is more difficult for men than it is for women. Did you know that surveys indicate that women are three times more likely to give, volunteer, serve than men? You ever wondered why? Because they're better people than us. I mean, let's just be honest. But ladies, don't get too cocky because we'll just go back to Eve and her little slip-up that got us in this mess in the first place. Um, next time, guys, I'll preach a message on how to handle the remote control and all the guys can puff up their chest and say, I'm king of my TV. You know, okay, we'll, we'll come back to that later. But as Christians, Jesus calls you and me to be different. And He says, you're the light of the world. Now, if you don't hear anything else... Check this out. You've you got to pay attention. You've got to hear this. If you're not serving, Jesus said you're the light of the world. The world is dark and darkness does what darkness does and that's just part of the deal. He says you're the light of the world. And if you're not serving, your light is dim. Jesus said, when He said you're the light of the world, He said a city set on a hill 
You don't hide that. You set it on the hill for everyone to see. And Jesus says, you are like a city set on the side of a hill for everyone to see. And if you're not serving, you got some dim wattage. And, and Jesus says, you want, you want to be great? Serve, and I'll supernaturally increase your wattage. And people will see that. You want to know one of the most significant people in this church is my wife? She serves. She, would, she hates getting up on stage. She wants to be behind the scenes. And she has, she has literally touched the lives of people through serving them. There are people that come to this church today because my wife, who would never, never get up here and preach a sermon, sing, she'll serve behind the scenes and she'll melt the hardest heart because she loves people. Serving is significant and God makes you brighter when you serve. It's time, if we're going to be the church that God wants us to be, if you're going to be the Christian that God wants you to be, it's time to drape that towel over your arm and to serve someone else. That's where you achieve significance. Now, like Alex said, when we don't want you to serve all the time because you'll wither and die. But if, you, if all you do is put on a robe and you say, feed me, feed me, feed me, if that's all you, you do, you'll wither and die. And uh, there's, this, there's this little verse I want to I kind of close today with in Proverbs. Proverbs is just this collection of really cool sayings, great sayings written by the wisest man who ever lived. And look what Proverbs 11:17 says. Your own soul is nourished when you are kind. And then the opposite of that. It is destroyed when you're cruel. Have you ever wondered why your soul is dry? Could it be that you're not serving anybody? A kind deed left undone destroys your soul. Sometimes the most significant thing that's happened in my life as a pastor happens when, when, when my schedule is actually interrupted, when I don't know something's going to happen, and when I choose to have the right attitude... Janie and I fall into bed exhausted at night, and when we pray, we thank God for interrupting our plans and allowing us to serve someone because this peace that I've not found anywhere else in the world, and I've tried things the world has to offer. It doesn't come through possessions. It doesn't come through alcohol, drugs, all that. The peace that comes to me in my soul is when I have served somebody when it was inconvenient. And I watched God do some stuff, and we fall into bed and we say, God, thank you for realizing that we are just self-absorbed dipsticks and you use us anyway. You used us to make a difference in someone's life and there is this nourishment in my soul. I sleep sweeter that night than any other time in the weeks or months of my life. And it's just, just because we chose to serve. How long has it been since your soul was nourished by selflessly giving something to another human being? Well, that's too long. I remember that old Wolfgang, Wolfgang, Wolf brand chili. How long has it been since you've had a bowl of Wolf brand chili? Well, that's too long. Okay, I am way old because 90% of you don't even know what Wolf brand chili is. It's not any good, but anyway. It is detrimental to your soul to always wear a robe because here's what's going to happen. If you wear a robe, I've seen it. Been in, been in churches, been a minister now for 24 years. 19 as a youth minister five years here as, as, as pastor. People who wear the robe become judgmental, critical, cynical, and just flat out difficult to be around because they know it all. And quite honestly, 
the people in my experience who have said, I need more, let's go deeper, your messages are too shallow, I need more Bible study, I need more, 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 more. Most of those people, well actually I can say all of those people, aren't doing half of what the Bible says to do. More knowledge is not what they need. More action-based faith is what they need. It's what our church needs. And so you'll become so judgmental that you'll begin to pull other people down and what will eventually happen is you'll leave the church or everyone will wish you did. But the opposite is also true. If all you ever do is serve and you're never refreshed, because the Bible says we're supposed to have a Sabbath day of rest where we relax and are refreshed and worship God, where somebody pours into our lives. I listen to to other preachers so that I can be refreshed and renewed. Every year, every summer, I have a summer study break where I don't preach. And the whole purpose of that is so I can be renewed and plan for the fall. And we have some guys that preach, and it's great. It is incredible to come up here and not have responsibilities two or three times a year. I mean, when my wife comes, she was up here last week. She She was wearing the robe last week so she could be filled. Today she's back downstairs with uh with the toddlers. And she'll be there for probably four weeks. We try to get everybody to take a break. But the problem is we don't have enough folks who are willing to serve. One Sunday a month. Because if all you do is serve, you're going to be judgmental and cynical and you're going to start pulling everybody around you down and you're either going to leave the church because you're burned out or everybody's going to wish you would. You see, you see the tension there? There is a balance between the robe and the towel. Now, you remember when you were a kid? Any of y'all ever play King of the Mountain? Hello? Yes. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for playing. King of the Mountain. Come on. Come on. Now, I can't sit down and I can't turn my back. It is exhausting when you're trying to be King of the Mountain. Because what are you? You fight and you claw and you try to get on top of that mountain. But don't you dare relax. Because somebody will take you down. Too many churches that I've been in, too many people put on the robe and play king of the mountain. Let me tell you what you need to do. Let me tell you what God told me that you need to do. The quest for power is childish. The choice to serve demonstrates maturity. And we want to have the most mature body of believers possible. That's not arrogant. That's just trying to do what Jesus did and get people to do what Jesus did. Because your soul will be nourished when you serve another human being. Serve somebody who can't serve you back. And then notice how you feel when you lay your head on the pillow that night. Let's finish this. What is necessary to put a towel over your arm? Serving is this. This is on your listening guide. Not thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less. God doesn't say you're supposed to pour mouth yourself. If somebody gives you a compliment, learn to just say thank you in a gracious manner. Don't go, oh no, this whole thing, this is nothing. You know, that's, that's actually false humility, which is really pride in disguise. Just say thank you. But if you, if you want to grow as a Christian... Don't put yourself down. Just don't think of yourself. Focus on others. 
And I, I quoted this to you. This is a different translation. Philippians 2, 4. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. <laughs> Stop focusing on your own needs. And when you do that, you can see the needs of others. Because needy people are everywhere. We just don't see them because we're self-absorbed. Second thing is, serving is comparing ourselves to Christ and not our neighbors. Comparing yourself to someone else shows that you're insecure. The more insecure you are, the more you want people to serve you, and the more you will need their approval. And, and if we ever catch this concept, it's huge. Our audience is God. We serve for an audience of one. And as long as I please Him, it doesn't matter what anybody else says. The people who criticize me, it's irrelevant if I'm pleasing God. Now, that's not a cocky thing. It just means my master is the one who created me. And if he says, good job, then someone else can criticize me and, and, and I'm looking to him for approval, not humans. Right? Third thing. Serving is demonstrating my gratitude. Great servants are grateful servants. You show me somebody who's, who's discontent. You show me someone who's critical who's cynical, who's difficult to be around, and I'll show you someone who is not thankful for a thing in their life. Because when I start getting thankful, when I look around and I say, oh, I am blessed beyond measure, I don't criticize you. And when I look at the cross, and I do this often, if I ever start getting kind of cocky, I look at the cross and I see what Jesus went through and I see the blood that was coming down, and I say, oh God, forgive me because I put you there. My sins put you on the cross. And the Bible says that we are to forgive one another as Christ has forgiven us. Did I deserve to be forgiven? No. Do you deserve to be forgiven? Probably not, but that's not even the issue. I am grateful to God and I do things because Jesus died on the cross. That's why I serve. Would you take your uh, registration cards? And fill those out. And on the back, we have some very simple ways that you can serve. If you want to serve. We always need greeters. Children's ministry, and if, you want to, if you're interested in that, we will, if you put a check mark there, somebody from the children's ministry will contact you. And, and they won't wear you out. I mean, really, we, we look for about once a month where we try to get folks to go down and, and serve. My son is down there today because he had to fill in for somebody. Usually once a month. And we actually did a deal years ago, can you serve like a sixth grader? You know, kind of, are you smarter than a fifth grader? That was kind of fun. Because my sixth grader serves and loves it. And I'm willing to say he gets more out of that than he gets out of my sermons. Um, new building, we're going to be moving in. And let me just give you a quick update. We are purchasing the skating rink. We still have one more piece of paper that we have to get into the bank. Uh, they're doing the title search now. We are scheduled to close on October 15th, um, but we're not sure if that's going to happen on October 15th. Not a big deal. All of the financing is going to come through, um, and we will be, as soon as we can get in there, as soon as we close, we will get in that day and begin working on it, but we're not sure what that day is yet. So um, next week we'll have a sign-up sheet in the back if and what we're going to ask you to do is write down times, days and times that you could be there. Uh, because we've got, best case scenario, we're in there by Christmas. I would love to celebrate Christmas. I'd love to have a Christmas Eve service in the new building. 
but in order for that to happen, we're going to have to have some help. So if you want to do that, check that there. Some of you are, have already written that on your cards. Go ahead and check this again. And then uh, wherever you are needed, that's what that should say at the end, wherever you're needed. If you would just, you just want to serve somewhere, put that down and we'll get in contact with you. Now, we are going to pray and then we're going to have our baptism service and um, we, we like for everybody to stay. It'll be